Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Today our show is Vonnegut on Tralfamador, Billy Pilgrim and PTSD with journalist Tom Roston. All of our music today comes from Everything is Satin, five songs inspired by Vonnegut, by Lusterlit. We're listening to Use Me, inspired by Vonnegut's 1959 sci-fi novel The Sirens of Titan, where we first encounter the Tralfamadorians, aliens who will abduct Billy Pilgrim in Slaughterhouse-Five, published ten years later. In his new book, The Writer's Crusade, journalist Tom Roston examines the connection between Kurt Vonnegut's life and his anti-war novel, Slaughterhouse-Five. There are messages I'm sending Half of them I don't Roston spent some time researching his subject here in Bloomington, where the Lilly Library at Indiana University houses the Kurt Vonnegut Manuscript Archives. Did Vonnegut suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder? Did Slaughterhouse-Five's main character, Billy Pilgrim? Roston probes Vonnegut's work, his personal history, and discarded drafts of the novel, as well as original interviews with the writer's family, friends, scholars, psychologists, and other novelists. Slaughterhouse-Five was Vonnegut's first novel to become a bestseller, staying on the New York Times bestseller list for 16 weeks. Its success must have been gratifying to Vonnegut, who says in the book's first chapter, quote, I would hate to tell you what this lousy little book cost me in money and anxiety and time. When I got home from the Second World War 23 years ago, I thought it would be easy for me to write about the destruction of Dresden, since all I would have to do would be to report what I'd seen, and I thought, too, that it would be a masterpiece, or at least make me a lot of money, since the subject was so big, unquote. That big subject, struggling to find a form, was not only the Allied firebombing and killing of 25,000 civilians in Dresden, but PTSD, called variously over time irritable heart or DeCostas syndrome, cannonball wind or shell shock, war trauma or post-Vietnam syndrome. And it's this history of war trauma that Roston thoroughly discusses in his new book. Vonnegut on Tralfamador with Tom Roston on Interchange on WFHB. Well, I appreciate you doing this too. My pleasure. My pleasure. I love to talk, Kurt. Good, 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 good. So let's just jump in so we can get in and get out. Okay. All right, man. Uh, so thanks again for joining me on Interchange to talk about your new book, The Writer's Crusade, Kurt Vonnegut and the Many Lives of Slaughterhouse-Five. Oh, I'm very excited to talk to you about it. But Tom, do you mind unpacking the title a bit? Uh, what do you mean by The Many Lives of Slaughterhouse-Five? Well, it's it's a multi-layered title. You know, I think, um, it, well, first, we'll start with The Writer's Crusade. It's, it's a direct reference to Kurt Vonnegut's crusade to write Slaughterhouse-Five 
it's also the idea that all writers are on a crusade to try to do something bigger than themselves, something that they believe in. Um, and then it's a little bit of tongue in cheek. It's a reference to myself and my own little crusade to write about Kurt. But then the many lives of Slaughterhouse Five is again multi layered. Kurt wrote so many different versions of Slaughterhouse Five, and so that's part of what my book is about: how he went through all these different iterations during his crusade. Um, and then also the, the the other layer of meaning is that the book lives on in so many different ways. I mean, what I love to hear from so many people is that they reread and reread this book and then it meets them where they are as they get older. Mm -hmm. So the life of this novel keeps on coming. It's like reincarnation. Well, it is uh, true of books uh, generally that they change for us as we change, right? Yeah, it does. But I think this novel in particular, I think it's more than than most. Um, I've talked to a lot of people about it. You know, you think about a Hemingway novel, um, for whom the bell tolls, for example, mm-hmm. and you know it's a great novel and it works as it is. But there's something about when you compare the uh, Slaughterhouse Five to that, you see how Slaughterhouse Five really grows up with you. Mm. You also got the fact that the book is about time and the passage of time and how it affects this character and how he how he copes with time. Um, you know the whole Charles Hammerdorian concept of time. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it just works on many different levels. You uh, mentioned in the book that you're a New Yorker, Tom, born and raised. Yes. Yeah. Born and raised. I, I only I only got as far from I born and raised in Manhattan, and then I got as far as Brooklyn. That's where I'm staying. <laughs> yeah, a world, but you're a world traveler too, though. I've been around, yeah, and um, I went to Indiana, which I loved. I loved going to Indiana to to work on this book. Well, uh, you now have to say why. Just, I mean, I, I, I mean, because I was working on the book, it was my entree to talking to people about Kurt Vonnegut. Mm. And you know, when you talk about Kurt Vonnegut, you bring, you, you collect people who are interesting and dynamic, and um, they understand the culture in different ways, or in ways that I that I enjoyed um, and I, that I thought resonated. I also spent time on the on the Bloomington um, campus, uh, Indiana University Bloomington campus. Which, um, you know, it's, there are a lot of really cool professors there. So mm-hmm. I just, I, I got to meet a lot of good people. Tom, how do you, how'd you come to be a writer and a successful one? Uh, I um, was an American studies major in college. And, you know, that's just basically culture. I studied culture and literature. That either you go into academia or uh, as a New Yorker, you go into media. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I went to magazines. I worked at Vanity. I first worked at The Nation. Then I worked at Vanity Fair. And then I worked at Premier Magazine where I became a movie guy. And then after that magazine got shut down, I started writing books. And um, so I was written about the, movie, the video store era. I've written about a restaurant that was at the top of the World Trade Center. And this is my latest book, which has been a, a total journey and a, and a great ride. How long did you work on this? Two years. I think a good solid two years. And while you're in the process of that, if, if you don't mind me asking sort of process questions or publishing questions, I suppose, right? While you're in the process of that, are you are you doing other things to make money or is this like funding your, your life while you're in the process of doing it? Uh, no, it's not. It's not. The advance was not nearly enough. I'm writing other uh, freelance articles for, for different outlets. Mm, okay. Um, and, and during that whole career, like that stint when I was freelance, I was I was taking on gigs like I was a, I was a consultant to the city of New York on a certain program and and so that was a uh, I was a writing consultant and then I just basically taken on freelance gigs along the way to keep keep paying the bills yeah yeah it's tough. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Today's show is Vonnegut on Tralfamador, Billy Pilgrim, and PTSD. 
with journalist Tom Rostin, whose new book is The Writer's Crusade, Kurt Vonnegut and the Many Lives of Slaughterhouse-Five, published by Abrams. Well, it was one of the interesting things about this era of writers, you know, uh, Vonnegut uh, and uh, Salinger in particular, the two that I'm most well-versed in. The idea of being a writer meant being a writer in the slicks at the time, you know, the place you, mm. you would get paid. And then, of course, uh, obviously, in Vonnegut's case, you get paid as a science fiction writer as well. And, and that's a whole different marketplace uh, compared to Collier's and Saturday Evening Post and whatnot. But that was what a writer was. You know, that's how you became a writer. That's what the kind of writer you wanted to be, right? To be in the slicks, to be publishing, to be making money. And you could make yeah, money. And- it's something that I could identify with, and I was also jealous of. I was envious <laughs> right. of his of his career because I I got into the slicks. I was working in magazines in the '90s when magazine industry really existed. You could mm-hmm. write nonfiction and and have a you know a, a good standard of living. And um, but Vonnegut, it was even better back in the '50s. You could write short stories. Right. I mean, there was something called short stories that you could write for magazines like Colliers, like you said. Uh, and and like his first story, he made 750 bucks, which was like I think three months wages for him right. for just for just a, a, a short story. So he, he he definitely found a good line of work. I mean, it wasn't easy. God knows, it wasn't easy for him. Right. That's one of the things that, that you that you point out and that people point out generally is that obviously you don't, well, most people anyway, maybe someone gets lucky, but most people work their tail off <laughs> to to get published, right? You, I mean, over and over, uh, you get rejections over and over, you keep submitting. And, and Kurt obviously had uh, had his wife helping him out quite a bit in that department as well. Yeah, he worked incredibly hard. And yet, as we're talking about, there was an industry that he knew he had to get in on. I would say anyone who's 22, 23, trying to get into magazines, you've got to be insane. Like it's just, there, there just isn't, I mean, people are making $50 a pot right. for like a, whatever, a 5,000 word story. It's like, there, there's no money in it. The writer's crusade is, is, is the thing of the past in a way. I mean, of course there, there are young writers who are making it and you know, it's, there is a chance. I don't want to be totally a, you know, a, a naysayer, but it's, 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 it's so hard now. So uh, I saw on your website that you profiled Judge Judy, um, and I'm, I'm, well, I'm surprised it didn't show up in this book because I just read uh, Nanette Vonnegut uh, saying how much uh, uh, Kurt actually, you know, loved Judge Judy and half joked she should be on the Supreme Court, though that might be too sane a wish right now. Yeah, no, it's I, um, I haven't, I hadn't really made that connection. I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah no, she's like, uh, you know, she's she was a part of the culture, right? And she's right. she's an incredibly popular part of the culture, and Kurt. He observed the culture. He was aware of what was going on. Right. He, he, I think he expressed that she was very fair. <laughs> you know, and it's funny, like, you know, I think a lot of people think of Kurt being this almost like this hippie, radical, total contrarian. But there's a lot about him that was pretty mainstream. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a, you know, he's a silent generation guy right. who um, you know, used to drink Rob Roy's and right. he, <laughs> He's from a different era. And yeah. I think, you know, in a way, I think Judge Judy spoke, spoke to him. You know, that, that yeah. you can see why there's an overlap. We are in a generationally um, mixed place, perhaps, you know, and it's, it is nice that Vonnegut continues to be read and continues to be picked up by uh, younger people, too. You know, he, he was passed in a way when I was a kid, right? So, I mean, I'm 53 and I, you know, he's still writing when I'm growing up, right? He's still got slapstick and, and time, you know, mm-hmm. all these, he c- continues to write. But, you know, when I was in college, you, you, you read the older books. I wasn't reading Slapstick or Jailbird, right? I, I went to Cat's Cradle and, and Player Piano yeah. and Sirens of 
Titan. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the major fans they got they get into the later mm-hmm. Vonnegut, but I'm, I'm, you and I are the same age, pretty much. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I, I started the early novels, and uh, and only only when I was working on this book did I get to the later stuff. And frankly, I saw why I never got into it because I, there's a lot of it I don't really like. I mean, slapstick, come on! Mm-hmm. I just that's that's not a good novel, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I think there are a few people out there who might like it, right. and some of the later stuff. There's value to it, right? But it, it's not. It's not like the the, the earlier stuff. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Today's show is Vonnegut on Tralfamador, Billy Pilgrim, and PTSD, with journalist Tom Roston, whose new book is The Writer's Crusade. Kurt Vonnegut and the many lives of Slaughterhouse-Five, published by Abrams. Well, I'm a fan of Galapagos and maybe Hocus Pocus, um, I think are two pretty well done books and especially, you know, again, approach the idea of, you know, humanity being ridiculously stupid for the most yeah. part. Yeah, and, and for me, Bluebeard is another oh, yeah. one yeah. That, that I like. Um, that, yeah, I mean, it's like Timequake, his last novel is just an exercise, you know, it's just, it's just, it's not even, it's not even really a novel. It's, it's, it's kind of sad, frankly, I think in a way to to read it because he was trying to recapture what he did. I think in Slaughterhouse five by writing this metafictional novel, but it's funny because in Slaughterhouse five, he says, this book is a failure, but in fact, time quick really is kind of a failure (laughs) because Slaughterhouse five is clearly not. No, right. But he, uh, again, another thing you point out is how, how much he worked on it. He points it out too, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a, a random thought that just our conversation brought to mind that I hadn't really put together before. I just want to mention it before sure. I forget it. That I think for many of us and earlier generations, even the, even the ones who first read him in, in, the, in 1969 or early 70s, I think in a way he, he had a sort of what Bernie Sanders has to a, a new generation today. He's that older guy who, who kind of gets it. And we know he's different. We know he's from a different generation, but he understands the culture in a way that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and I, I just, I just, I want to make that connection that um, the, the brilliance of Kurt Vonnegut's ability to talk through generations is, is similar to the way Bernie Sanders could do it. I think that is the point of Slaughterhouse-Five to me, too, is that it, and, and I think you made your point, I, I agree with your point in Hemingway. Like, for me, Hemingway isn't timeless, even though you could say some of the, obviously, many of the short stories are almost crystalline, right? They they do sit on a shelf by themselves and, and are the thing they are, but they're also the a product of a particular kind of uh, moment in a lot of ways. And it does feel like Vonnegut does slip across time, right? That you could read it at any point and imagine being any of those people in the book even, right? I mean, there's, yeah. uh, you can be, Royal, you hope you don't see Roland Weary in yourself, but do you not no. see uh, Robert Ackley in uh, Catcher in the Rye? in yourself sometimes or Stradladder. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're writers that have these characters that I think do show up in our lives throughout. Um, I don't think I'm generally going to recognize myself or anyone else in a Hemingway novel. Maybe that's not true. It's been a long time since I read any of the novels. Well, yeah, I, I recently reread For Whom the Bell Tolls and A Farewell to Arms, and I would say, yes, I, I agree. I don't... It's hard for me to see myself in those characters. Mm-hmm. Were you reading those uh, as part of your kind of uh, like war novels to see, you know, what other kinds of war novels there were at the time? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. You just uh, I wanted to refresh myself and because yeah, I do, I do get into yeah war novels and, right. and how how they work and how, how, why his is so different. Did you end up reading The Naked and the Dead? That was a long one. Uh, I did not reread that one, but yeah, of course I've read that. And um, right. 
And frankly, I didn't like that. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's good. It's sure. a good novel. It didn't speak to me the way uh, Hemingway did. Yeah, that's the interesting part about these two, like Mailer and Vonnegut, are kind of those two old cranks uh, that existed long past their sort of writing mm. prime in a lot of ways, right? And mm-hmm. and you even, well, we had uh, Vonnegut on uh, in the Rodney Dangerfield movie. Yep, Back to Back School. Back to School. And then I think yeah. Norman Mailer was in the Gilmore Girls. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you know, they're, they're, they became cultural icons. Yeah, they did. Know? Tom, was this a book you wanted to write or were you hired to write this book? I know this is a book in a series of uh, books on books kind of thing from the publisher, Abrams. Is that right? And did you you want to write it? They come to you and say, we like Tom's uh, writing. Let's get him to write this book. It's a little bit of both. I had written um, my previous book, uh, The Most Spectacular Restaurant in the World. It's a book about windows on the world, the restaurant that's the top of the World Trade Center. And of course, it was destroyed on Mm 9-11. And my editor, Jameson Sturtz, and I were talking about what would be the next book? And um, he was doing this series. And so we talked about the books that we would like, you know, see the next one be done on. Mm. Um, he had done uh, 1984 and The Color Purple. And we agreed that that Slaughterhouse-Five would be amazing. And I was really excited about the idea of doing it. Mm. Um, and so away we went. It was a dream as a writer to be able to do that, to just be able to cozy up with a, with a great novel and look at try to look at the world through Kurt's eyes, mm. understand what he was doing at the same time that I was working on what I was doing. Um, it was, it was, I was really, really psyched to get this and, and to do it. It was, it was, it was quite a ride. Very fun. Let me be a song singing, a dance dancing, a storytelling, a life living. Let me be a sex sexing, a fix facing, a joke joking, a love loving. Let me be a bird still care at all. It's time for a break. This is Lusterlit with No Answer, inspired by Slaughterhouse-Five. Lusterlit is the literature-inspired duo of Susan Huang and Charlie Neelan, who create songs for the Bushwick Book Club in Brooklyn, New York, a club founded by Huang that meets monthly, employing the talents of local songwriters, artists, and chefs who plumb the depths of a chosen literary gem to create a new song or visual art, dance, film, or snack. Stay with us for more with Tom Rostin on Kurt Vonnegut and the writing of Slaughterhouse Five. So don't have bad sex, but if you do, don't concentrate on it. Concentrate on the good sex. And all the good moments, that's all we have. We're Bucks and Amber. That's all we have. Just love and Amber. Can I be a time trapped in suspending it? It's just suspending everything and knowing it Can I be a Living has to happen something With my old days It happens in time What we want is not what we get We ask questions without answers We're that not in the nougat With but just remember We are structured to ask why When there really is no answer Welcome back to Interchange on WFHB. Our show is Vonnegut on Tralfamador with journalist Tom Rostin. In this segment, we explore the history of recognizing the trauma experienced by soldiers in war. PTSD is only the most recent iteration of this diagnosis. Oh, that's right! 
So the title doesn't really make reference to what I think is kind of the plot of the book in a lot of ways, right? The PTSD uh, sections of the book are its main thrust, it seems like. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would agree. And and I do, I, I was torn about uh, not putting the word trauma or PTSD in the title or the subtitle. We tried, we've, we, we, it was there a lot uh, and it just didn't end up there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's a little misleading, I'll be honest, um, not to have it there because yes, Trauma is a huge part of this of the of my book because that is the main prism through which I see Slaughterhouse Five and, and Kurt Vonnegut's ability to write it. It does seem like you're specifically trying to talk about PTSD as a result of this kind of uh, experience, a war experience, war trauma. You you track the idea of trauma from war uh, in, in its history, in a sense. Yeah, I do. I, yeah, I go back all the way to about two thousand years, mm-hmm. um, including the Civil War when it was called uh, uh, Costa syndrome, mm, or right, a sol- right. it was also called a, a soldier's heart, um, which was like one of the first times that they actually uh, saw a connection between how a person's brain and a person's heart, the, the body, um, their mind and their body are affected mutually by events. My approach to Slaughterhouse-Five, um, I started with looking at, okay, how are people today understanding this novel? Mm. And it immediately struck me that that they're looking at it through the prism of trauma. Mm-hmm. It includes Kurt Vonnegut's children who say he had PTSD. And then if you look at the culture at large or that we live in today, trauma is on everyone's lips. I mean, it, this was before, I mean, I started this before we did COVID. And, you know, the, the notion of this, uh, this millennium starting with 9-11 and then soldiers having PTSD. And then we've got the Me Too movement and BLM. We've got, you know, everyone's talking about trauma all the time. So, of course, this novel is going to be somewhat, you know, understood through that. And, and it doesn't take a, quite a stretch of imagination to start seeing in Billy Pilgrim, the main character, that this is a guy who's been traumatized by war. And maybe that's the reason for everything that's going on in it. I did spend some time trying to think about it in terms of its science fiction qualities, right? So um, having read The Sirens of Titan, which is about, you know, Trauf Amadorians also, it's science fiction, but I'm supposed to accept the premise as science fiction, right? It's like it's not somebody's dream in that book. But, you know, it does trickle into this book, right? So, you know, I wanted to kind of connect the two, you know, what is trauma in Sirens of Titan? You know, what is trickling into Slaughterhouse-Five that started in Sirens of Titan. That kind of, you know how you start to kind of make those attempts from one book to the other. If this is a book about trauma and Kurt Vonnegut has PTSD or had PTSD or responded in this way, then likely much of his work has these same kind of characteristics, right? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think, in fact, I, I tried to do that. I didn't um, break down Sirens of Titan as much as um, you know, you're suggesting, but I, I think if you look at all of the novels, they are a path toward writing Slaughterhouse-Five. Mm-hmm. Slaughterhouse-Five was the book that, he, that Vonnegut set out to write after he came back from World War II when he was 22, 23 years old. This is the book he wanted to write, but then he wrote other stuff because he wasn't ready to write Slaughterhouse-Five. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first book is Player Piano. I mean, he, I think he, I, I think it's fair to, to say that he was already working on Slaughterhouse-Five at the same time as a sort of, it was like a shadow novel that was behind all these other books. And and yeah, I think um, I think you're totally right. The Sirens of Titan, you know, it ha- it is it's a sci-fi novel. Right. Um, in the same way, I think uh, Cat's Cradle is is a fable. You know, it's right. it's ludicrous. You know, it's 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 a ludicrous story, which doesn't mean that it doesn't resonate as truthful. But these were all stepping stones to get into Slaughterhouse Five, where I think he merged the the notion, the the the, the fiction, the science fiction, and also the metaphor 
fiction, meaning himself and his own experience. And that's where I see the issue of trauma coming because I think Vonnegut was traumatized by his experiences in war and he wanted to try to communicate that. When I say traumatized, I don't mean he was dysfunctional. Right. I think he was deeply affected and he needed to try to translate that. And, and he found a way. Um, but he had to work through all his other novels. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. I mean, it is him looking for the right style, in a sense, the right way to, to compose something that could, I guess, be as close to truth, you know, that you can do when you can't really write about atrocities in a way that you could read. I mean, words on paper aren't reality, right? So, right, 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 right. And, and of course, but, and yet... Um, the way, I mean, it's brilliant the way he writes Slaughterhouse-Five because you feel like he's right there with you. Mm-hmm. Kurt Vonnegut, the man, the author, you know, he starts the book saying, I had a hard time writing this book. So he's immediately talking to you about the book that he's that you're reading. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in 1969, you were reading this book a year after Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy had been killed. And he ends the book by saying, hey, they just got killed. You're actually there. It's, it's nonfiction. And yet in between those two, the, the beginning chapter and the last chapter, there's this wild fiction story. So, I mean, it's a truly postmodern novel. You know, after he was done with this book, he said, I kind of feel like I'm done. I I don't know if I need to write anymore. And and I take from that, that all those other books that came before uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, he was working his way toward this novel. And it's not just because it succeeded. It was was clearly his big hit, but that's not the reason why he said he was done. I think it's because creatively, this is what he had been working on all this time. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Today's show is Vonnegut on Tralfamador, Billy Pilgrim, and PTSD, with journalist Tom Rostin, whose new book is The Writer's Crusade, Kurt Vonnegut and the Many Lives of Slaughterhouse-Five, published by Abrams. Expressing the sort of disjointed dissociation, you know, that Billy Pilgrim experiences, you know, that that's a big part of what it means to read the novel. It had to have been so hard to find a way to kind of create that Tralfamadorian novel, right, in English, right? In, in yeah. Our, yeah. Which is what he does. Again, another brilliant thing he does is write a Tralfamadorian novel as best it's he can. Bre- it's bre- yeah, it's breathtaking. I mean, it is. He, he does do it. He really, I mean, I, I think it is Tralfamadorian. I defy anyone just to crack open that book and find like a, a favorite sequence easily because it's so hard to, to to know where it is where it lies in the book. I mean, anything that I'm talking about really in Billy's story, right? Because like of those in those nine chapters, it just keeps on going back and forth and back and forth, and how he was able to to do that and weave it back and forth, and yet it flows so seamlessly yeah. is is. It's what makes it such a genius novel. I agree with you. It's as we were talking about. I was trying to imagine it as um, as being on cards, you know, and you shuffle them and read them shuffled, and just like wondering how how well it would read shuffled because yeah. because it does it is shuffled in the first place, right? And it's no, it's no um, accident. I think that at the same time that he was at Iowa teaching in in sixty six sixty seven, that people like Robert Coover were were, mm-hmm. were um, professors, and those were guys who were doing hypertext, right? And this you know this stuff this technology this like new kind of postmodern writing where you would just have like put it in computers and just like have random words or sentences or paragraphs that would randomly lead to different sequences. I, I don't really dig that kind of stuff. He was able to do it in a way that worked 
to a you know a human mind that it wants to have like a, some sense of a cogent narrative and yet um, one that is truly uh, I guess abstract I guess uh, and yet you can still get it. you still can hold on to a thread. Clearly, we're both fans. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> and that's what you know. I I'm, I was honored to. I spent a lot of time talking to Tim O'Brien, the writer of uh, the things that carried and other mm-hmm. great novels. Right. And um, he was very kind about my book, and he, he said, you know, it's like part biography, part literary journey, but also a fan's notes. And, and you know, I don't, you know, I'll take it. I'll right. take it. It's, it's partly fan's notes. There's no question. Well, it should be, right? I mean, you were excited to do it, and it's part of why you would write a book on a book. I mean, I guess you could write one you hated, too. Yeah. I mean, it would have some energy. It would have energy if you hated the book as well, I guess. But also, I didn't want this to be literary criticism. I didn't want this just to be lit crit because I didn't see the point of it. So many people have already written about this novel. Right. Um, I, I wanted it to be a little something else. And you already kind of talked about it a little bit, right? The idea of why the novel does have resonance, why it continues to have resonance. A big part of the book is tracking other soldiers uh, with their own experiences and responses and also how they read the book and how they've come to, to Vonnegut. And that's a big part of the book as well. It's also about people who have experienced war and have experienced PTSD or are confronting the idea that they do or don't have it. Um, yeah. And and that's essential too and why they think this is that kind Kind of book, right? Yeah, I wanted to see how the book lives today. How does Slaughterhouse Five live today? Live today, and the best way to do that is to see how it's being read. And I was just drawn to some veterans who are also artists or writers, um, including Tim O'Brien, including this guy Matt Molina, who, who served in Iraq, and another former sailor, Lance Michio, who was stationed in um, in Lebanon. And these are really interesting people who have really ingested the novel and shown me how it, again, how it lives today um, and how they processed it through their own PTSD, dealing with PTSD, and all, but also their work as writers and artists. So Vonnegut addresses this early uh, in the book itself, right? In chapter one, he says, he's talking to, I think, a movie producer or something, you know, and t- saying he's working on a, a, a book about Dresden. And the producer asks if it's going to, if it's an anti-war novel. And he says, you know, I guess it is. And he says, well, you might as well write an anti-glacier novel because, you know, glaciers are going to happen and uh, war is going to happen. Right. Um, right, and right. do you? I mean, is it your sense that he wanted to write an anti-war novel, or he wanted to write this novel about his experience? I mean, to say I need to write a thing because it's what I experienced and I have to do it as a writer, versus yeah. this has to be an anti-war novel, or this yeah. is an anti-war novel, and that's what I meant to do. Now that's the perfect question. I think I, I you know, I haven't really been asked it that directly, and it, it, you're totally right to ask it that way, um, because I think primarily. Kurt Vonnegut was a writer at heart. That's what he, when he was young, that's what he wanted to do. And so I think it was his expression. He wanted to express something that he saw, you know, the bombing of Dresden, the experiences of being a a POW, and he was appalled by it. And, and he said it himself, like, if you're going to experience something, experience something that's really meaningful. And then he was, his whole point was like, people are talking about this event. I was actually there. It was at his core. It was essential to his core to have experienced it, but then also to have tried to write about it. Now, that is, I think, the primary answer to your question. But I think secondarily, he was an anti-war fanatic. You know, he was incredibly anti-war. He hated what he saw. And so, yeah, he wanted to write an anti-war. But I think that came second. But it's still there. You 
are listening to Interchange on WFHB. Today's show is Vonnegut on Tralfamador, Billy Pilgrim, and PTSD, with journalist Tom Roston, whose new book is The Writer's Crusade, Kurt Vonnegut and the Many Lives of Slaughterhouse-Five, published by Abrams. Now, uh, there's a point in the book where you're struggling with the idea of PTSD as a um, as a broader issue. You know, to say mm-hmm. is it is it diluted? Is it diffuse? You know, does everybody have PTSD? If everybody has PTSD, then is it is it a thing? This kind of question comes up, or how how we address these things. And if you look at the stats, you make some um, you you reference some stats that are also uh, fascinating. You know, the idea that women experience PTSD at a greater rate than men. I think it's nearly twice as often uh, mm-hmm. as reported anyway. Also, I was reading the other day that Canada has more PSD, PTSD than other countries. And part of it seems to be that it, it's a result of people living a life that is comfortable. They respond really badly to trauma. If we're going to talk about like this issue, what is PTSD, PTSD yeah. and is it relevant? Yeah. Is it a thing? Yes, it's a thing. Right. I mean, I think let's, I mean, let's take a step back. And since we're talking about writing in a novel, I, I'm, I'm not the first person to, to say that I believe that we're all writing our own stories, right? right? And I think that we do that as individuals. We tell our own narratives about who we are as fathers or mothers or children, whatever it may be, or as you know, athletes or firemen, whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm a good one. I'm a bad one. I'm, I'm one who's going to make it. You know, not this year, maybe next year. And I think that's also true as a culture. I think as a culture, we start saying this is who we are. This is who we are as a nation. The reason, one of the reasons we're so messed up as a country is because we're really, really conflicted on who we are like, as as a nation. But there was there was a more cohesive um, uh, a voice before. Um, and um, you know, so this issue of trauma, I think that's one of the narratives that we're now saying. I think everyone feels like they're traumatized, whether it's someone who feels like the multicultural world that we're living in now increasingly is shutting them out, or it's a person of color in, in New York who also feels like they've, you know, they've got, had a legacy of trauma. So that, you know, there's, there, everyone feels traumatized now, it seems. But you know, in a way, I don't want to, I'm not belittling it. Let's just accept that this is what the narrative is being told and let's try to understand it and see how we can move with it. Because it's different from when from Vonnegut's era. But in Vonnegut's era, it was like, you know, we're tough. We fought this war. We did well. And let's be brave. And then let's put it all behind us. And then let's move forward with this country. And, you know, that's not all good either. Right. Uh, they're, they're, diff- they're different stories that we tell ourselves. Well, that's true. I think, you know, it is part of how we have to think about it is, you know, the idea of the cultural narrative, which you just talked about, is it's sometimes hard to contest, right? You can't say you, there isn't such a thing as PTSD for people that don't experience X kind of thing, right? Like, right. And, and, and once you start telling yourselves and we tell ourselves particular stories, it's hard to know how you're supposed to evaluate those things. If I, you know, it's just kind of hard to determine what these things are. I do feel that generally anyone can be traumatized at any point in life in a way that's very serious, very real, and is going to keep affecting their lives. Um, Yeah, but I I think the problem is that, as as you're indicating, if certain words are become buzzwords, they get overused, like PTSD, and that... If you go to the friggin', you know, coffee shop and the, the barista makes your coffee too hot, you say, oh, I have PTSD from this experience. Right, right. It makes it feel like it's meaningless. Right. Whereas if you have soldiers who actually fight wars or if you have someone who's actually been abused by a parent or something, you know, that's going to be PTSD. But it's like, 
our culture overuses that. And, often, and you know, I think as we all know, the social media, it decreases the meaning of these words. Right. It's challenging. It's, it's a challenging time. Right. When I was thinking about the numbers of sort of between men and women, uh, mm-hmm. I thought to myself that uh, in, a, in a sense, men going to war uh, and experiencing trauma is like women experiencing their daily lives. Yeah. yeah I think I mean, you're hitting on something that uh, Nanette Vonnegut, um, uh, one of Kurt's children, said to me, you know, maybe Kurt didn't just experience, you know, the PTSD from war, maybe experienced it from life. Right. So, I mean, I, I think your point is, I think you know as well as I that men can have trauma from their everyday lives sure, as well. Right. But you know, I don't know, just we're talking about the difference between men and women. I'm kind of reminded about this notion of Karen's, you know, the idea yeah, of, the, sure. of, of white women who just go off and start, you know, being really annoying and start raging. And we have all these like videos of them. What I always see when I see those people, I think, man, that person is traumatized. There's something wrong with that person. Mm. And it's like, it all comes back to mental health, which is again, why I think Sardis five is the book of our age, because it's a book about war trauma, but it's also very much a book about mental health and the mental health of all of us, all Americans. And we know Kurt Vonnegut, that's constantly, that was constantly on his mind. Breakfast of Champions, that's entirely what what it's about. You know, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. He's always talking about, you know, if someone's gone insane and, you know, that's what we're always dealing with. We use, we don't use the word insane anymore. We just talk about mental health and trauma, but that's why he tapped into who we are as a country is we're just trying to like our fragile little egos and minds are are shattered and we're just trying to cope with it. As cruel as heliogabalus He'll light the fire to hear us scream. It's time for another break. This is Creator, another from Lusterlit, and inspired by Vonnegut's 1973 book, Breakfast of Champions, the novel immediately following Slaughterhouse-Five, also exploring issues of free will and mental illness. More with Tom Rostin on Kurt Vonnegut and PTSD when Interchange returns. Stay with us. Sometimes I wonder about the creator of the universe prostitutes surrender to their pimps like they're surrendering to jesus while beautifying their insides with bad chemicals Suicide, theft, murder, insanity, oh, worse. Sometimes I wonder about the creator of the universe. Redemption is breaking the earth before it can recharge. And the things that we're making. Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our final segment of Vonnegut on Trophamador with journalist Tom Rostin looks at the problem of telling war stories without glorifying it or ennobling murderous acts. Can it be done? Most agree that this is Vonnegut's major achievement in Slaughterhouse-Five. Just to testing to see. Yeah. 
he does make the point frequently that we need relatives and communities, right? but that you're fractured as a society. You're fractured because of jobs, because of capitalist you know, organization, because you move to go to a job instead of being at your home or with your family. All these kinds of things that keep us apart from people who know you. And you know, we always argue, if you're from a small town like I am, you argue that everybody knows your business and you don't want that. But I think that's part of what he's saying. You know, People have yeah. to know each other, to know how to be with each other, to know how to expect things from each other, to want to protect each other. It's kind of the constant note that he hits, at least in his conversation, if not in his particular novels. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, community and, and frankly, art. I think those right. are the two things that he, are, if there's an antidote to all this malaise, the American malaise, right. those are the two things he would have talked about. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that sheds light on this notion that so many people are spending so much time arguing with people they have no connection yeah, with because right, they're, right, right. they're all on social media and they're just like sniping at each other and or just not even like looking at each other. They're all Everyone's in their own silo, right? right? But yes, there's that undercurrent of connection that you're talking about with your family that we just don't seem to be have. And, and, and it does seem to be... Uh, causing a lot of strain and that's and that's that's what uh you know Vonnegut right, right. was dismayed by he was really dismayed his last years he was a bitter old man yeah. and, and i think he saw what was happening i often think of my grandparents obviously there they would have been uh, Vonnegut's age uh, approximately and i just it's such a strange thing to have lived that life so strange the technologies that you pass through and the way that the world changed uh, and in in so many horrifying ways to so many people even if we imagine the greatness of our technologies the war you know the constant war you know the there's just constant trauma happening in the country and the the country making trauma basically yeah, um, yeah. so you know my grandparents lived that life too it's so it's just kind of a, a weird thing to figure out at this point I made the, made the connection in my book about how you know you've got just general mental health issues yeah. that you know humans have had you've got issues of trauma from war um you've got but then also we live in an era again with social media and these you know smartphones that are very similar in, in certain ways that are kind of insidious yeah i think the, the idea that when you have a phone in your hand you don't you're not really in the room that you're in right, when you're looking right. at a phone you're not in the time zone that you're in you're you could be a hundred years from now so again i think vonnegut uh, anticipated this social media disjointed, disassociative existence that we live in today. Right. Um, and again, I think that's why the novel resonates. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, it is the modern condition, right? Uh, I think, again, I was reading that uh, Nanette Vonnegut interview was, you know, said that he asked her or begged her to read Madame Bovary, uh, Candide, and uh, Dubliners, right? So yeah. this kind of early modernist expression of, uh, well, with Dubliners in particular, of, of fracture, right? Of, of cultural fracture, of technological fracture, of, of things of that nature. World War One, as you say, sort of tearing apart his family um, yeah. and their expectations. Um, you know, we are we are those those products of fracture, and uh, it's not surprising that that that's kind of the literature that we've had for a long time, or at least out of this period. Uh, yeah, and, and it's interesting because I actually just this morning I was thinking, God, you know, I think I need some more poetry in my life. I don't read much poetry, right. but I think poetry might help address this awful condition we're in now with the pandemic and our messed up country. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's exactly what you're saying. It, it addresses fracture more easily and more mm. fluid fluidly mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the writers that i the veteran writers i talked to today they either like vonnegut or they like the great war poets mm-hmm. um and, and you look at the great war poets and how they talk about the trauma of world war one and you really can see in just like a simple literally fractured lines right. of, of words that simulate the, the the experience of being having a fractured mind 
And one thing that um, I thought was interesting, and you do mention Salinger in the book, uh, I think Salinger has been also kind of used as a, and I don't mean used in a bad way, but people talk about Salinger as a uh, a man who also experienced war and plausibly wrote trauma. Uh, you mentioned A Perfect Day for Banana Fish, which is right. Seymour Glass as the character that commits suicide in that story. Um, you could say that Salinger is that kind of writer as well. For As Me With Love and Squalor, I think expresses a little bit of that as well. And maybe a- as a human, maybe had more of an obvious trauma response, right? He basically hides himself away mm-hmm. from the world and lives what seems to be a kind of adolescent life, you know, doesn't really speak again, you know, after right. what, 64 or whatever is this last story. Um, so, you know, there is a sense that Vonnegut and Salinger both come out of the war in a particular way. They both write um, in the same period and, and are both trying to sort of get through those, those, those experiences. If I recall... Salinger didn't see combat, but what he, he was in certain sort of um, intelligence. My research found that um, he actually went to a concentration camp after it had been mm-hmm. liberated. And he soon after that had to take a leave of absence or something. Oh, I don't right, know what they right. call it in the military. Um, but I think there, there's, there's a possibility that that experience alone. Mm-hmm. But also he was debriefing people in, in intelligence. Right. He talked to people who saw the worst of war. And, you know, that's what they say about PTSD. You don't have to be there where a bomb blows up. You just have to hear about it or just be aware of it. And it can enter your psyche in different ways. But, you know, you're talking about comparing Salinger and Vonnegut. I think that's what a lot of us enjoy doing right. or it's just trying to understand people you right. know and and some people are just you know more interesting to us right right and these people like Vonnegut and Sadler yeah they're fascinating and, and yes they did seem to react differently to their lives they had very different lives but I think we're all trying to understand ourselves and so we also try to understand you know these these larger than life characters as well You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Today's show is Vonnegut on Tralfamador, Billy Pilgrim and PTSD, with journalist Tom Rostin, whose new book is The Writer's Crusade, Kurt Vonnegut and the Many Lives of Slaughterhouse-Five, published by Abrams. Tom, of the, of the people that you talk to about PTSD in particular, um, I think, um, you know, I enjoyed sort of having Tim O'Brien work through the book with you in a lot of ways. He, he shows up throughout the book in, in not in a, in a heavy-handed way, like he's just kind of occasionally you, you drop in a Tim O'Brien quote to, to respond to some particular other person. Um, but is there anybody else in there? I think, uh, was it Robert Lifton is the primary PTSD guy that you... You use throughout his work, but yeah, I, I turned to Lifton a lot because yeah. um, Lifton was a psychiatrist who did this uh, seminal work on the uh, survivors of, of Hiroshima, mm. and so so he was one of the early developers of the notion of trauma. The, the modern notion of trauma, I should mm-hmm. say, because uh, you know, it's, it's evolved over centuries. But it, the modern notion of trauma, he's been really important about it because he looked at it with Hiroshima. And then he was there um, when these Vietnam War soldiers started talking about having flashbacks and no one had really knew about it. They didn't really understand it. And really, they were talking about having these mental problems after they came back home. And so th- they were trying to put the pieces together and then lift and started meeting with them. And as a psychiatrist, he started, uh, you know, basically advocating for them. And so he was a primary person in, in developing the PTSD that diagnosis that came out in 1980. And he was also a fan of Slaughterhouse-Five, no surprise there. 
of Cyrus Five, he, he wouldn't say that that book uh, made him come up with the idea of, of PTSD, but it was part of the culture of of this sort of interest in the horror of war. So he said that, and then he, but he did say that he thought that Vonnegut was traumatized and that everything he wrote about in Sodorus Five and, and all his novels was through this notion that he, this, this imprint that uh, experiencing Dresden had on him. Um, and yet he does not think that it's fair to say that Vonnegut had PTSD, but it, it depends on your definition of PTSD. You could call, say, Vonnegut PTSD if you have a very loose uh, interpretation of it. Uh, but generally, uh, he, he wouldn't, uh, he would not uh, ascribe to his, just giving him that stamp. Well, one of the things that's important throughout is the difficulty of having this conversation about war or about soldiers is about the, I guess, the value of being a soldier in the first place or, you know, the idea that Vonnegut, uh, one, you know, said, it was an adventure, right? I mean, if you're going to, like you said already, if you're going to see something as a writer or have an experience, it, it's good to have a big one, an important mm-hmm. one. I think people still make these distinctions that there are wars that were good wars and wars that were not or are not, or the warring idea can be a bad one or can be a good one. I don't read Slaughterhouse-Five and feel like it, it was a good war, you know, like no. World War II was the right war or the only good war or the last good war or anything like that. You don't, I don't read it that way, do you? No, uh, and I think Vonnegut addressed that. He said that basically he was able to come through on Slaughterhouse-Five and I think was able to resonate because the Vietnam War was raging at the time that he put it out. The book came out right when there was a terrible uh, battle where a lot of Americans were killed. I think... Vietnam was such a clear mess up of a war that it allowed people to look back at World War II and go, well, you know, okay, maybe it was the lines were different and, and it, there was more clarity there. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't awful and right. that wars shouldn't happen. It is one of those things. It's such a large historical fact. We don't talk about the whys. We don't, t- you know, we don't really talk about the the lack of necessity for war yeah. generally, or why it's done, why it's managed the way it's managed, the why the particular powers that be go to war or or decide to participate in war or things of that nature. And then we often just talk about the hell of war or the terrible, you know, things you have to deal with as a soldier. I think there's somewhere in Slaughterhouse Five where he where he expresses that you know the, that you can't talk about war, right? The, and this is part of the Mary O'Hare part in the, in part one is that you know you shouldn't glorify war. And Tim O'Brien says this as well in his book, right? The, or in the things they carried, I think you know you can't you can't talk about war uh, in a way that that makes you think war is noble or anything like right. that. You know that drives you to think it's a good thing to have or do war. And, and this is why Salinger came up in the first place for me. To be honest, like this is where I first started to put the two together. I think it's in high the roof beam carpenters where he has seymour the soldier that kills himself says you know basically that like the gettysburg address which is like held up as the greatest speech ever mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that, that to seymour he shouldn't have spoken at all he should have just shook his fist at the people and walked off you know that you cannot yeah. you cannot make the war eloquent cannot give it that voice. And, I, I, think, I think that's spot on. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And I think that's what this book is saying too, right? I think that's what Slaughterhouse-Five is saying. In the book, he says there's nothing intelligent right, you can right, say right. about a massacre, right. referring to Dresden, but that you could extend that to all of war. But I, I think you're, you're right because, I mean, what I struggled with was trying to, the reason, one of the reason, main reasons I used Tim O'Brien is because Tim really wrestles with the notion of how to tell a true war story. Right, right. And that's exactly what Vonnegut does too because it's, it's too hard to do it. It's like you said, it's all, it's just cliche. When you say war is hell, right. everyone knows that, but you don't feel it. And, but you do feel it when you read Slaughterhouse-Five. You do feel it when you read um, the things they carried. But 
that doesn't extend to how we live our lives in this country because we're all going to forget it. There's going to be another war. It's, you know, I mean, all of us who were here uh, after 9-11 and then saw, you know, everyone getting ready for war, first in Afghanistan, then Iraq. And, you know, there were those of us who said, no, let's not do it. But, you know, the country was not going to stop. It's going to happen again, and we're not going to learn our lesson. And then, you know, sure enough, every like, who's surprised uh, that uh, you know, twenty years later, with that terrible pullout in Afghanistan, and it's like, oh yeah, maybe we shouldn't have done this whole thing. Nations exist to go to war. It seems to me. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Today's show is Vonnegut on Tralfamador, Billy Pilgrim, and PTSD with journalist Tom Rostin, whose new book is The Writer's Crusade, Kurt Vonnegut and the Many Lives of Slaughterhouse-Five, published by Abrams. One last thing, and it struck me only just because, you know, I was trying to think about, you know, a culture that gets most of its entertainment most of its education even via, you know, visual media. But I was thinking about like war movies too, which is again a part of this book. You don't want to write a book that they could turn into a movie featuring John Wayne or, or, you know, or any, or Tom Cruise, right? Or, you know, any, or uh, Tom Hanks, right? So Saving Private Ryan popped into my head when when I think about war movies. I, I don't watch them generally, right? And I didn't see the most recent one where it's like colorized. I forget the name of that one. Oh, the Peter Jackson one? Yeah, yeah. I didn't see uh-huh. that either. Uh-huh. And that one's, you know, people said good things about that, but I just don't watch them. Um, mm-hmm. But I watched Saving Private Ryan when it came out, actually, in the theater. You know, I don't have any good thing to say about it in terms of, you know, being a critical argument for it or against it. But you know how they land on the beach and all the bullets are just basically mowing everyone down. I nearly got sick. That was, I feel like, a decent thing to show, (laughs) even Uh though it was horrifying to me. And there's a scene also where one one of the characters gets killed by a German soldier and they're like wrestling in hand to hand, basically. And the, the American is on top and he's about to kill the German. And right, then they, right. they're wrestling and he gets flipped and the German's about to kill him, right? And he's like holding the guy, like the knife's about to go into his heart and he's holding him back. And he's like begging with him, right? So he's yeah. like begging mm-hmm. and begging and, and the knife slowly goes in and he kills him. And I wondered about its value, right? I wondered about it as a piece of cinema or a thing. Like, I didn't feel it as a rush. I didn't feel it as a, wow, what an amazing thing to see. Or I really was horrified by the idea of, like, that experience. It was so visceral. And, and I didn't know if that was good or bad. Like, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Yeah, no, I think that's it's interesting. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I address that in my book. Um, I'm on the other fence, the side of the fence than you. I enjoy those movies. I can understand all your criticisms, and, and and I actually respect your response more than mine. But um, I I like war movies. I like movies where people get their heads shot off. Uh, uh, I'm not appalled by it. I mean, I am uh, politically. I don't like it. I think it makes the world a worse place. Uh, I've got a uh, I don't know a pubescent joy at watching movies like that. I don't have an answer for it, but that's part of why I, I, I took, I, I, I seized on that as, as a, an important element of my writing my book, because I wanted to try to understand that because I, I do think Vonnegut is able to upend that. And I think there are very few war movies that do that. 
Yeah, yeah. Briefly sketch in that opening chapter, and then we can be done if you don't mind. the The idea that you were kind of excited by the uh, by the thought that Kurt Vonnegut might have actually killed, hunted down, and killed one of his guards after the war. Yeah. So I um, during during the research and reporting of my book, I came across a story from a pretty close source, uh, actually the son of. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut's best friend, Bernard G. O'Hare, his son told me that he had heard a story that Vonnegut may have um, actually killed one of his uh, German guards during when he was a prisoner of war, that he'd done it like right after they were released from, from the camp. And, you know, this immediately fascinated me. And I, and I recognized that it was sort of a, like a bloodthirsty fascination that I got excited um, just like we're talking about you know just the way I get excited about a war movie and and, and um, I pursued it and um, there's a, there's a story that is told by a, a, a guy who fought in Vietnam where he um, talked to both Kurt Vonnegut and Bernard V. O'Hare Kurt's best friend and he says that they really implied that they had done this that after they got released from their um, camp that they hunted down this guard. And if they didn't actually kill the guard, they may have roughed him up and you know, done something, you know, beat him up or something. In the end, I don't think this story is true. But again, it's this sort of thing where I think the story itself is enough to get us into this notion of like, what does it mean to tell stories? What does it mean to fight wars? What does it mean to be excited by war? And that's what Vonnegut was trying to subvert when he tried to write his anti-war novel. Everything is a day. The demons scream Everything is a The demons scream Go away The way of Duralux Anything to make them shut up Duralux That's our show. We'll close with the last track from Lesterlit via the Bushwick Book Club in Brooklyn, New York. This is Everything is Satine, inspired by Kurt Vonnegut's 1987 novel Bluebeard. Satine Duralux is a brand of paint used by the main character in the book. Again, Tom Rostin's new book is The Writer's Crusade, Kurt Vonnegut and the Many Lives of Slaughterhouse-Five, published by Abrams. I'm Doug Storm. I produced this episode of Interchange. Kate Young is executive producer. This is Bloomington, Indiana's community radio station, WFHB. Thanks for listening. Hey.